All right. Good morning, everybody. Woo! Yeah, can we get excited for a minute? I don't know. Only half of you seem happy to be here. What about the other half? Are we ready? All right. Okay, good. I know I'm excited. I, we, uh, we've been waiting and, and praying for, uh, for this to start happening again. Obviously, it's not ideal. We're not, uh, we're not full capacity, if you will. But, uh, but it's a step in the right direction, and uh, we appreciate, yes, we appreciate you all being here um, and tuning in every week to the live services and all that stuff, supporting uh, the church and us through all of this and, and uh, just continuing to stay committed to the body. It's an awesome thing, um, you know, when the world sort of like throws an obstacle at you, you know, you have months of separation between us, and yet here we are, right? People are still coming, people are still connected, and that just says a lot about your, your conviction and your, your dedication. So thank you all. Um, so this morning, I'm just going to be very quick. Um, we are going to obviously continue this in-person uh, meeting uh, the same way according to the protocol, according to the state's guidelines uh, for as long as we have to. Um, but what we're, we're asking is, is that you RSVP every week to the email that Kathy sends out. So if you want to be on the list for attendance and have a cute little nameplate on your chair like you did today, uh, you just have to email Kathy with a C, Kathy at sccc.org, and uh, get yourself on the list. If we go over capacity, if we go over capacity for this room, which is a, where we're at today, is just about capacity, I believe, um, we will consider or we will probably implement a second service at uh, 9 a.m. So we'll probably do a 9 and a 10.30. The 9 would obviously be a shortened version um, with a little bit less, um, but obviously the same uh, opportunity to come together. So I just wanted to remind you. So Kathy at, our, at, at sccc.org, and uh, we'll go from there. So at this time, I'm going to ask Kathy if you could play the video. Uh, we have some seniors here. And we want to just recognize them and, and their part and congratulate them.
son, singular. <laughs> so at, at this time, before I invite Pastor Brian up, I'm just going to ask you all to bow your heads with me. Let's, pr let's pray for our seniors, our young people here. Father, we're just so grateful, uh, Lord, first for being here together, Lord, but for these young people, God, who've made it through this leg of their journey. We thank you, we praise you, God, uh, for bringing them this far. Lord, we, we celebrate their lives and all the hard work they've done. And, and, Lord, we just, we love, Lord, that they're connected to us here at South Coast. Father, as this next leg of their journey begins, I pray, Father, that as a church, as a family, we would support them, encourage them, and lead them and guide them as they need to be, Lord. Lord, as, as we all know, those of us who have uh, graduated or moved on from that stage in our lives, life can be challenging. And so, Father, without you, Lord, it's even more so. It can be even impossible at times. So, Lord, I pray that they would stick closely to you, Lord, that they would rely on you more, that they would really cultivate that relationship with you, Lord, as we know the world right now is not very receptive to you, to your people. But, God, your word says that the gates of hell will not prevail against your church. So, God, we lift them up to you. We ask you to bless them on this journey. And, Father, that we would be the people they need as examples and standards in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to ask Pastor Brian to come on up and oh, hey. take over. All right. <laughs> well, it is really... <laughs> What was that, two seconds? Really good to be back and to be preaching, not just to a camera, and we know that it's not just the camera, we know that God's word goes forward and his power and his spirit, but to see so many beautiful faces, even Gary's, it's, uh, <laughs> sorry I had to do that, it's, uh, it's great to be back. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the title of the message this morning is, is Live Gratefully and Live Gracefully. And for those of you who know me, understand that I didn't choose that title as much as it kind of chose me. Uh, but seriously, I figured for our first service back, I would kind of keep it light. And so we're just going to talk about racism, privilege, and justice, because that, be, that should be easy to navigate. When Christianity first started out, nobody was called a Christian. They were called followers of the way. Being a Christian was called the way because it was a new way to live. A different way to live. And that should still be the case. In a sense, the kingdom of God is always an upside-down kingdom. Die to live. Serve to be great. Give away to receive a greater, mostly non-material blessing in return. Put others before ourselves. And admit and embrace our brokenness to allow God to heal us and make us whole. See, when I hear or see something, when you hear or see something, it's easy for us to react. Or to process information led entirely by our thoughts, our feelings, our knowledge, our experience, our family history, our culture, 
And most of us, if we're honest, I know I spend most of my time reading or listening to positions, whether they're politically, socially, or otherwise, that agree with our a priori, which is a, it's a ph- philosophical way to say, based on theoretical deduction, rather than empirical observation. In other words, we process information with a prior set of assumptions. And now that's impossible for us to not be somewhat biased. We, we, you know, we process new information based on everything we know about the world, but we have to be conscious and aware that that's what we do. And more often than not, we seek to confirm our existing views rather than to try and understand alternate views Alternate experiences doesn't necessarily mean we agree with those things, but that we would be better equipped to understand, to empathize, to take a step toward healing and wholeness. You see, and I was talking to somebody this morning about this. What we tend to do is we tend to attribute the absolute worst characteristics of the group we perceive as our opposition And we tend to import the absolute best characteristics on the group that we're a part of. And that's almost never accurate. So here's the thing. That's not how we're called to live. We are called to experience our our, uh, new information, experience our world, experience everything we see and hear in light of God's revealed truth. That's the standard. Instead of processing God's truth in light of our own bias. We think most sermons are for other people. This one is specifically and uniquely for you and for me. I believe that with all my heart and I've never prayed more about a sermon than this one. I've asked the Lord to teach me, to show me things. I've gone over word again and again and again to show me where I'm failing. How do I treat people who are different than me? How do I think about people who are different than me? One of my favorite scriptures has always been Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? Not desire, not suggest, but require to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. I want to frame everything we talk about this morning with that. And as always, we want scripture to guide us. So I'm going to read a lot of scripture. I can always email anyone the notes and you can read for yourselves. But now if we'd stand, we're going to transition to worship together. Good morning, church. It's been a couple of weeks, eh? (laughs) Well, we can just transition to some prayer. And our first song we're going to sing is Waymaker. And I know uh, we believe that he still is the Waymaker. Amen? The miracle worker. Promise keeper. Amidst the uncertainty, if you would, we have an anchor. That holds. We have hope. We have love. We have the power of the Spirit. 
we have our Savior Jesus. Amen. So, Lord, we just want to worship you this morning, Father. Gathered in your name, we know that you're with us and amongst us, Lord. Lord, remove all distractions from this room right now in Jesus' name. That we can worship you, O God. this. You are here. vocals just now? Can we do uh, some vocals only so we uh, figure ourselves out because we're stumbling here. We're fumbling. It's a stress and uh, you know. Yeah. You are here moving in our midst. I worship you. I worship you. You are here Working in this place, I worship you. I worship you. You are here. You are here. Moving in our midst. I worship you. I worship you. You are here. Working in. Touching every heart, I worship you. I worship you. You are here, healing every heart. I 
in Christ alone. Christ alone,
Father in heaven, only you have the power to change hearts, to soften hearts, to redeem, to reconcile, to use us, God. Help us to be willing vessels. Change each of us, God, here this morning that we would leave here different than the way we came in. More empathetic, more understanding, more patient, more loving. Father, have your way in this place. Have your way in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team. Well, the reason for the title, Live Gratefully and Live Gracefully, is because gratitude is the foundation for Christian living. A full understanding of our condition before God, of our need for His grace and mercy, 
a full appreciation for what he did for us on the cross. That's the beginning. In order for us to live justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly, those things must be grounded in gratitude. And I submit to you that if we're not grateful, we don't understand. And if we don't understand who we really are, if we don't understand our condition, if we don't understand our need for rescue, we've said before the gospel is only good news, if we first understand the bad news, if we don't understand that, then we cannot help but be prideful. And pride is the root of all sin, it is the root of all injustice, and the Bible tells us that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I don't know about you, but I don't want God to actively oppose me. You see, each of us have a pride problem. We have a sin problem. If we're honest with ourselves, admittedly, we think we're better than we really are. We think that we're deserving of some things. Anybody want to guess what we really deserve? I know Jeff knows. It's, it's bold, it's, it's, it's uncomfortable, it hurts. What we really deserve is hell. That's what we really deserve. And if we understand that we really deserve that, and yet God sent His Son to pay the penalty, then we can't help but be grateful. And again, if we're not grateful, maybe we don't understand that that's what being a Christian is. We've said before a whole bunch of times it's the gospel's free, but it's not cheap, right? It's a life for a life. Jesus gave his life up so you could walk in a new life, not in your old life. You see, we all want to change the world, or so we say. But in reality, in many cases, we must change our mind because from a renewed mind comes renewed actions. And only the Word and only the Spirit of God can change us from within. I shared not long ago this post on Facebook that I was complimented by a friend who was basically complimenting on the, the person I had become, the man I am today. And I wrote this. I said, as I thought about my life, the truth is that I've had the benefit of being surrounded by good people my entire life. People who are much better than me, and that has made all the difference. I would not be where I am or who I am with the many people that have been around me. And so I said I will take little credit for what I have become because it's all God and it's all the love and actions of many good uh, men and women who had a lot more say than I did. I want to look at scriptures this morning because my opinion doesn't matter and neither does yours. As I said earlier, it's not about what we think or what we feel or what we know. It's not about what our parents taught us or what our friends tell us. And so I pray that our heart is open to God's words. I pray that we allow these words to guide each of us. That we say, how does my life line up with this truth? Proverbs, I'm going to read just some scriptures from, from Proverbs, Psalm. Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. The Bible says God hates pride and arrogance. Psalm 10.4, in the pride of his face the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. Now sometimes we don't say that actively, we don't say there is no God, but we live like there is no God and that's worse. 
least people that say there's no God and live as if there's no God are consistent. Proverbs 11.2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 16.5, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. And Proverbs 16.18, probably a, one of the more familiar, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Now maybe you'd say, well, I don't think I'm a particularly prideful person. But let's examine that. And let me, let me digress for a moment. Can I be human? Can I be, can I be transparent? And can I share kind of what's been going on? Because I'm not removed. You know, Pastor Jamie and I are in the thick of this thing. We're not removed from all this. And, and like Jamie said, we're like extreme extroverts. Like if there's a spectrum, scale of 1 to 10, we're like a 13, right? But this stuff is overwhelming. Division, violence, oppression... Arguing, conflict, it's, exhaust, it's exhausting. And, and, and even though I'm an expert, uh, an expert, I'm not an expert, I think I'm an expert. <laughs> even though I'm at the extreme end, even though I love people, I'm also very, very sensitive. And for good or bad, I've been that way my entire life. There's a lot of benefits to that, there's a lot of downside to that. Things affect me, you know, and being a pastor, people say you've got to have thick skin and a soft heart the same time. So it's hard. So things bother me, and I get really discouraged when people get ugly with each other, particularly, and I've said, you know, before, you know, when, when I don't really get into arguments on Facebook, but what really bothers me when I see two people that I love that don't really know each other well, and I see them start to communicate, and I just want to be like, I want to stand in the middle and be like, wait a minute, you guys are missing. You're not hearing each other. You're talking past each other. If you would sit down, I know you'd love each other. But it's like watching a slow train, you know, a train crash. Because you can see where things are going to go. The division in this country, whether it's about politics, how to respond to the coronavirus, the situation regarding race, police brutality, whatever it is. If, it's in, if it was in my power to shut down social media, I would do it. I would do it. We don't even know how to communicate in person very well, let alone over these mediums and let alone about serious issues. Does more harm than good. And if I'm honest, it makes me want to withdraw. The idea of moving away from society with just my family, you know, this is, I don't know if anybody's ever seen this on PBS, it's Alone in the Wilderness. The guy Dick Prenicky. I could watch that. I could just put that on repeat and watch that forever. This guy, like, when he was like 50 years old, decides he's going to leave society. He's going to go in Alaska, build a cabin from scratch with just his hands and live there for a couple years. He lived there for 30 years. He left when he was 80 and it was too much. Anyway, kind of a side note, but I love that guy. Right? Now, I know I could never do that because, I, you know, I couldn't be alone. You know, it sounds good in theory, but in a couple days I'd be missing everybody. Right? I'm a people person. But it makes me want to withdraw. It makes me want to be like my buddies Eddie Model and Richie Moniz with a flip phone. I don't even want people to text me and message me. and I just want a flip phone. You, you need to talk to me, we'll talk in person. Other than that, I don't want to hear it. Right? I mean, that's what, that's what I kind of want to do. But you know what? That's not the call. I've always said I'll never retire. There's no retirement in ministry. You don't say, okay, Lord, it was a good 50 years being a Christian, but I'm done now. 
All throughout human history there's been war and famine and poverty and oppression and injustice and violence and starvation. You know what we're called to be in the midst of that? Jesus. Not to run away. Not to hide. Not to sob in the corner though I know we want to. And it's okay if you want to sob in the corner for a little bit. But then get back in the fight. Feed and clothe and comfort and love. You don't stop telling people about Jesus. You don't stop living the gospel. And justice abounds. It always has. It always will until Jesus returns. So what do we do? Do we throw up our hands in helplessness? Do we give up? I mean, we could. Some people do. Some people retreat into a little world where they're only surrounded by people who think exactly like them. And it's safe. But I don't think when they get to heaven, Jesus is going to go, really good life in the bubble. That was awesome. You did well. Were you comfortable? Did you craft a comfortable little existence? That's good. I'm happy. I'm happy you were able to do that. I died on a cross so you could be comfortable in your own little bubble. See, we wouldn't be doing what God calls us to do in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 20. Where we're called to be ambassadors of Christ. Where the Bible says we're given the ministry of reconciliation. That it says Jesus provided a way for us to be reconciled to God. And then it doesn't stop there. That's not the end. Sometimes we think it is. Sometimes we preach like it is. Get, you know, everybody gets saved, believe in the gospel, and then we walk away. And we leave, you know, we have these stillborn Christians because they don't know. Nobody's discipling them. We're called to a ministry of reconciliation, and that's where the gratitude comes in. Because it's easy for me to tell, about some, to tell everybody about somebody that I'm in love with. You don't have to tell me to do that. I want to do that. And that's what we should feel about Jesus. Part of being reconcilers is that we have to deal with injustice in the right way. All kind of ways to deal with injustice. But our primary response is to preach and live out the gospel. To be people of prayer and to effect change where we can. And when injustice happens, and it often happens right in front of us, with the people we work with, with the people we live next to, it happens in our families, in our neighborhoods, and sometimes it happens with the people we're called to lead. Do we do what we can to listen to affect change, to understand, to empathize. You see, we understand as Christians we're not called to adapt to culture. But you know what else we're not called primarily to do? It's just to fight culture. To, 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 we spend more time in culture wars than we do sharing and spreading the gospel. We're called to be reformers. To be vessels for Christ to change culture. To be culture changers, but primarily through being priests and shepherds, not warriors. Here's my encouragement, if you can relate and if you want to withdraw. And I think Jamie said this to me. When one of my, I'm leaving Facebook, now people just laugh. I'm like, no, it's like a love-hate thing. I really want to. <laughs> just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. And Jamie said, you know, if, just, if everybody that's light leaves, there's only dark left. Right? 
Don't be a Christian in name only. And I'm listen, I'm preaching this to me. I'm not me preaching this to you. This is God's word preaching to all of us. This hurt, this stuff hurt. I have to examine my heart. I'm going to get into some of that. But don't just sit on the sidelines and keep your faith to yourself because it's easy, because it's safe. Because that's not the mandate. That's not living justly and loving mercy and walking humbly. That's not being a minister of reconciliation. That's why the next generation's leaving the church. Because they see their parents talk the talk, but we don't live it out. And the, and the kids look at that and they go, well, you, you say this, but other people say that. But you are no different. You're no different than anybody else. Now, it's un- listen, I get it. As Christians, it doesn't mean we're perfect. But it means we're called to be. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. It means that's the goal. Jesus is the goal. And when we mess up, we've got to be honest with our kids and say, you know, that behavior wasn't Christ-like. But we pretend. We put on our Christian coat. And we go to Christian events. And we have our Christian language and our Christian music. What about our Christian hearts? So for me, I know God wants to use me. I'm surrendered to him, not to my own desire to be comfortable. And so I have to check my heart. And I have to say, God, where are my blind spots? Because if we don't do that, how are we ever going to get better? How are you ever going to change if you don't think you have anything you need to change? Because the Christian life is growth, is change. You know, the thing that people are most afraid of, I think, other than death, is change. People hate change. I'm sorry to break it to you, but the Christian life is you changing more into Jesus. So that tomorrow you look more like Jesus than you did yesterday. That's what it is. And if you're like me, and you really don't look like Jesus, and you got a lot of work, it's going to be painful. But what's the alternative? Give up? Surrender? I pray you receive this truth. Because if we don't have friends that can tell us the truth, if we can't receive truth, how's God going to work in our hearts? God works through his word, but he also works through his people. Here's one example in my life where I had to, I had to get a better understanding. Because I was... You know, and you know, when you're arrogant and ignorant, that doesn't necessarily mean maliciously. You know, to be arrogant, that, you know, sometimes that can be just kind of subconscious. Or to be ignorant just in the classic sense is just not knowing something. You're ignorant of information until you've been presented with it. So here's an example. We hear Black Lives Matter, that phrase, and what does everybody want to respond? Anybody brave enough to say it? Because I know we're thinking it. All lives matter, right? My response, I mean, that's, that's what I think. It makes sense, doesn't it? Now, again, it's not about my opinion, so I'm going to ask you to check your heart as well because I thought this was a helpful explanation that a friend of mine posted. Again, not my opinion. Luke 15, 3, then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who represents than over the 99 righteous persons who did not need to repent. 100 sheep, one goes missing. 
Jesus leaves the 99 to go after the one. The 99 say, well, what about us? Don't we matter? Of course the 99 still matter. But they're not the ones in danger. The one is. You see, of course we know all lives matter, but all lives are not valued the same by some people, and that's the disconnect. Here's another example. Let's say I came down with colon cancer, and I put a post on Facebook, and I say, I have colon cancer. Everybody, please pray for me. You know, this is a a major thing. It, It infects all kind of men. And somebody goes, well, what about breast cancer? I mean, don't you care about the breast cancer people? Breast cancer is important, too. What would we say? Well, of course it is, but that's not what I'm talking about. That's insensitive. But somehow in matters of race, that same logic, we're like blind to it. Because we're, 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 and I'm not talking about the movement. I get it's been hijacked. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the principle. Now, I know Jesus loves us all. I get that. But here's the thing. Scripture seems to suggest, and again, you know, check me on this. I don't want to give you my opinion. I don't care what I think. I'm trying to understand what the Word says. That should always be what we do. Scripture seems to suggest to me that he was biased, that he played favorites. You know what I think when I read the Bible again and again and again? Jesus favored the outcast. He favored the discarded. He favored the ones not who thought they were whole, but the ones who knew they were broken. Which most of the time is the one society devalues and discards. When Jesus began his ministry, he quoted Isaiah 61.1. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has appointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Now look, I'm not saying... That as human beings, there's a, there's a difference in the outward. I'm saying that there's a difference in the inward. I'm saying that that's why I started this by, by grounding it all in gratitude. Because we're all captives. We're all brokenhearted. We're all poor and blind. It's just some of us don't think that we are. Some of us still don't think that we are. And this is why if you don't understand your situation and you don't understand what God has done and you're not grateful, you're prideful. And a prideful heart is never going to love mercy and justice. You know what a prideful heart's going to do? You know what my prideful heart does? It deflects, it defends, it takes a side. It's concerned about being right in the head and crafting a good argument instead of being right in the heart. And you know what? This is what Jesus says to people who don't understand their condition. Revelation 3, to the church in Laodicea. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds. You're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Because you tell everybody you're a Christian, but when I look at your heart, I don't see that. And this is what he says. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth. I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. It's tough stuff. Take it up with Jesus. You don't like that. It's not my words. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. So you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. 
And then listen, listen to this. Verse 19, to those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. If you're being rebuked in your heart, good, Jesus loves you. You know what the next thing says? Be earnest and repent. You walk out here throwing a pity party. That was offensive. I didn't like that, Pastor Brian. Da, 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 da. Be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Jesus is saying, if you get this, if you understand this, you're going to have a greater intimacy with me. See, that's the, that's the greatest joy in the Christian life. I mean, there's a lot of joys. There's, you know, there's fellowship, there's community, there's, you know, understanding God's creation. There's all kind of wonderful things. But you know what the greatest joy in the Christian life is? Jesus. And hopefully an increasing intimacy with him. You see, it wasn't the religious people that Jesus favored. It wasn't the priests he chose. And you know what? Their theology was correct. They knew the right stuff. Their problem wasn't knowledge. Their problem was their heart. Their knowledge led them to be prideful. So prideful, in fact, that Jesus couldn't even get through. Jesus chose the fishermen, the tax collectors, the ordinary folk. Why? Because he thought that they were inherently better than other people? No, because they weren't blind to their own sin, and they weren't perfect. We see that. When you hear a sermon, when I hear a sermon, it's always about you. It's never about your neighbor and your friend or your people group. And It's about you. It's always about you. I don't want you to leave here and think of anything else other than check your own heart. And if in your honest heart you can say, you know what, the Lord hadn't had to deal with me, amen, great, good for you. But it's not about anyone else. The Word of God wants to penetrate your heart and my heart. How can you apply this? How can you hear this? If we understand our brokenness, then we understand our need of God. And then we understand His grace and mercy. And that makes us grateful and humble. And only then, and only then, are we able to extend that grace and humility? And the alternative, the alternative is if we are proud and arrogant and we choose to focus on everyone else's sin and neglect our own, we will never understand. John Wesley said, We should be rigorous in judging ourselves and gracious in judging others. We do the opposite. We're gracious in judging ourselves, and we're rigorous in judging everyone else. We look at sins, and we cherry-pick certain sins that we like to point out. Sexual sin, sin, or, well, that person's a liar, or a cheat, or a thief. And yet, through all throughout the Bible, what God seems most opposed to is pride. And it's pride that stops us from living justly, and from loving mercy, and from walking humbly. We are called to look out for the underdogs, the underrepresented, the poor, the marginalized, the discriminated against. It's another confession, repentant, whatever. I saw a sign recently, and it said, wake up, white people. 
Now, it was held by a white person, so that was a little interesting. But So I see the sign that says, wake up, white people. And my immediate reaction is that makes no sense. It makes no sense to assume that all people who have white skin are the same, regardless of their background, their experience, their character, their actions. I mean, not all white people are the same. They don't all have the same level of ignorance. We can't judge a whole group by what a few people do. We can't judge us all based on skin color. It was hurt to be charged on the basis of my skin color. And then God reminded me, that's what you do. That's what we do. And it's not just about skin color. Maybe your prejudice looks different because it's not always black and white. We can look down on people because of their lack of education, their economic status, where they live, what they drive. The list is endless. But my Bible says this, 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. Right? I wasn't even going to say it. I was going to let it go. (laughs) For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. We spend most of our time and energy trying to make sure everything on the outside looks good. And God's not going to care. He doesn't care about the outside. I mean, you know, he does practically speaking the way we live. But you understand my principle. It's the heart. You see, we're so used to making excuses or shifting blame or taking sides or pointing to others. We divide about everything. You think you're going to get to heaven and God's going to say, I'm so proud of you. You really told off those evil Republicans. You really debated with those silly Democrats. You were so good at name calling and really killing the opposition. I'm so proud of you. Good job arguing people into the kingdom. Your Facebook post really changed a lot of minds and hearts. No, he's not going to say that. We can spend our whole lives standing on the other side of the street, figuratively speaking, holding opposing signs, and maybe we're right. Maybe what our sign says is true and right. But we can spend our time holding opposing signs, or we can realize our own need for a Savior, and we can be humble. And maybe we can give water and first aid to a protester. Because that's an act of love that opens the door to gospel dialogue. Now I'm not saying there's not a place for resisting cultural trends. That's not what I'm saying at all. But if we spend 90% of our energy as Christians fighting culture wars against people who fundamentally sin differently than we do, If we think we're so righteous with our politics and we come to think our view or perspective is the only one. You know, we love to say a man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. And we love to say that when it works for us. Like in relation to, you know, walking with Jesus. Like, listen, you can argue all day long. I've experienced Jesus. And that's true. But that works the other way, too. Because oftentimes we try to diminish somebody else's experience with an argument. That's not compassionate, that's not understanding, and it makes us seem to lack empathy and understanding. We're so good, we've become experts at pointing out the speck in our neighbor's eyes. And when I say we, I'm right up there. 
Eleanor Roosevelt said, great minds discuss ideas, average minds discuss events, and small minds discuss people. That hurt. I heard somebody say the other day, the only time you should be putting somebody down if you're a Christian is when you put them on your prayer list. James Frazier said, small minds cannot grasp ideas. To their narrow comprehension, nothing seems really great and important but themselves. This isn't about anyone else right now. It's about you. It's about me. God wants to deal with us. And the question he's asking is, what can I do to treat people better? All people, but especially people who feel marginalized. How can I listen better? How can I understand more? How can I be a a better friend? Some more observations that might be helpful. I know when some people talk about the death of someone, whether killed by police or someone else, whatever the scenario, I've heard other people say in response, well, you know how many police are killed, or, or again, in some other scenario, which is equally valid and equally horrific, but it reminds me of something I once read. A smart person knows what to say. A wise person knows whether to say it or not, or when to say it. A smart person knows how to talk. A wise person knows when to be silent. Here's an example. If my child were killed and I was grieving, and somebody responded to my grief with statistics, doesn't matter what they are, or if somebody said, well, you know, there was another child that died, what would I do? What would that do to me? I would say, that's not what I'm talking about. Just grieve with me. Just understand my pain. Why do, you, why do we feel the need, me, why do I feel the need to deflect and defend and come up with a reason or an excuse when somebody's in pain? I mean, there's, there's ample time for other discussions. Nobody's saying that can't be the case. But how insensitive, how unwise is it to say the right thing at absolutely the wrong time? But if we feel the need to take sides or attack or defend instead of listen and learn, we need emotional wisdom. We need to learn to understand the experience of others. I was in a class, and this was helpful. Maybe, I don't know, I mean, it seems kind of obvious, but it was very helpful to me. I've never forgot. I was in a class. I'm glad I went to CUME in Boston. So there's a group of, you know, all different cultures represented uh, at my seminary in Boston, and... um, so we were having a discussion about race, and this white girl in the class, she said, you know, part of the reason it's tough for me as a white person to, like, feel guilt or responsibility about what other white people have done, and she said, because we don't really have a collective identity. And then she said, in other words, when I walk into a room, I don't see other white people and go, those are my people. I don't even think of that. Black people very much do. They understand who the black people are. There is a cultural identity. And it was helpful for me to go, oh, yeah. I don't see white people as my people. I don't, I didn't make the connection ever. So it was, it, was, it was helpful for me to understand that that's how black people see themselves. And I'm generalizing. That's not everybody. But it was very helpful for me to understand, okay, that's, that's helpful. That's understanding to me. You see, me, us, and throughout life, not just race, we want privilege, we just don't want responsibility. 
I am a white male American from a good family, stayed together, of, you know, middle class, average economic means. If I don't understand that responsibility that I have because of that, I'm either arrogant or I'm ignorant. Because here's the equation. The more affluence and influence, the more responsibility. Biblical. This, I mean, this, and it's not about race. It's not just about race. It's about, in general, your standing in society. The more influence, and we all have affluence and influence, and when people say, I don't want to have affluence and influence, I do. I want to have as much as God will give me because there are resources I can leverage for the kingdom. The problem isn't what you have, it's what you do with what you have. So the more affluence and influence you have, the more responsibility you have. Every one of us have that. Now, it doesn't make sense for us to feel guilt or shame or anything because of our circumstance or situation if we were born into a... No, of course we don't. That's beyond our control. But you know what is in our control? What we do with that. That is in our control. Paul cites and uses his Roman citizenship. Why? Why did he do that? Acts 16.37. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we're Roman citizens. And they threw us into prison. Now they want to get rid of us quietly. No, let them come themselves and escort us out. In other words, let them show everybody what they're doing to Romans. The officers reported this to the magistrates. When they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. And they came to appease them, and they escorted them from prison, requesting them to leave, sit, to leave the city. Why? Because it was a favored status. Because it gave them privilege. Now, it happens all the time throughout all history and societies. So, again, we don't feel guilt about it. But we also don't pretend it's not real. We also don't pretend it doesn't come with a responsibility. As, as an example, if you have more money, you're expected to give more money. I mean, that's, that's how that works. It, it's, a, it's a generosity principle. It's not comparing yourself. You're not going to get to heaven and God's going to go, I love what you did with Brian's gifts. Or I love how generous you were with your neighbor's resources. And money's an example, but time, whatever it is. God's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? When was the last time, and again, I have to look at this. When was the last time you gave of yourself, whether it's finances or your time, where, you, where it felt like a sacrifice? Because it's easy, I mean, you know, it's easy to, to just do the automatic stuff. When's the last time you, you did something you didn't want to do, or you gave something you didn't want to give, or you showed up somewhere you didn't want to show up, or you had a conversation you didn't want to, or you put yourself in a situation where you're uncomfortable, you sacrificially did something? Rhetorical question, but... Answer it in your heart. Now, again, this isn't just about race per se. This is about the kind of human being, the kind of Christians we're called to be. When there are bullies in school, what do we teach our kids to do? Stand up for the underdog. Protect the person being bullied. Why is it so hard? For us to do that so often in our own lives. Luke 10, 25 through 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. 
course. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? Verse 27, he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. I love verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself, and so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? It's an exchange where somebody's going, hey, Jesus, you know, what's the, you know, what, are the, what, what do I need to know? What are the, what are the rules? And then he, and Jesus asks him, he responds with the right rules. And Jesus, that's it, you got it. But then it's, it's, it's almost like an asterisk. Well, well but, but who's my neighbor? Because, you know, love your neighbor is not clear enough. I mean, you know, I was, Jamie had posted the other day, love your neighbor on Facebook. And everybody tried to qualify. And it wasn't lost on me. I understand. I wasn't, oh, that's a good point. I get it. But why can't we? <laughs> if you ask the child to, what does that mean? They would be able to explain it better than we would. We have to qualify. We have to do all this stuff. And so Jesus responds to somebody that tried to do the same thing. And in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now I just want to stop there for one second, because... The person who was of the right class, the Levite, the priestly class, ignored him. The priest, the religious person, ignored him. I guarantee if you would have asked him about theology or about the, the Old Testament, the priest and the Levite would have had all the answers and the Samaritan wouldn't have. I'm not saying theology doesn't matter. I'm not saying we don't need a correct understanding of God. Of course we do. But if that correct understanding of God and our head never travels to our heart, we've missed the whole thing. And so it says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. Why? Because his heart was humble. Because he knew what it was like to be marginalized, to be cast aside. And verse 34 says, and he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii. He gave it to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert on the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. You see, imagine the hatred between the Serbs and the Muslims in Bosnia, the enmity between the Catholics and the Protestants in Northern Ireland, the feuding between street gangs in L.A. or New York, and you have some idea of the feeling of division and dissension between Jews and Samaritans in the time of Jesus. It involved both politics and religion. The feelings went, bad feelings went back before the separation of the Northern and Southern Jewish kingdoms. The Samaritans were half Jew, half Gentile. They came about after the Assyrian captivity of the northern kingdom of Israel in about 721 B.C. And so there were certain people from the nation of Israel that stayed back. 
They intermarried with the Assyrians, and so that produced the Samaritans. We see all throughout Scripture, Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. We see that in the conversation with Jesus and the Samaritan woman. She said, therefore, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans? They had their own temple. They had their own copy of the Torah. They had their own religious system. And so Jesus is telling a story, and the hero is the person least likely to be the hero by societal standards. And the religious people were indifferent, and they ignored somebody who was in pain and needed help. You know, we need to be careful how we treat those we think are on the other side, because we don't know who's on the other side. We don't know when we get to heaven who's going to be there. We don't know who's going to receive the gospel. And I think we're going to be surprised who's in heaven with us. Here's what we do know. Every single human being was created in the image of God. And so how many times have I said, well, you know, I don't want to get involved in that situation. It has nothing to do with me. And I'm not saying inject yourself. Use wisdom. But if you walk by every bad situation you see because it's easier, then you might have the religion on the outside. But you're missing what it means to be a Christian. Galatians 5.14, Paul says, for the entire law, everything, everything that the law encompasses is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. See, all of us have the ability to contribute to and change the world through our thoughts and actions. So do we try to learn from people who are different than us? Or do we dehumanize and objectify? Do we stereotype because it's easier than seeing people the way God sees them? You see, if we understand who God is and what He has done, we are grateful. And if we're grateful, we show that by living gracefully. That's why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction. There's not a period there. Paul's not saying, hey, blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who comforts us in our affliction, period. So we can all sit back and go, it's so good to be comforted. No, my Bible, you know what it says? It says, so that... In order that, so here's your part, here's my part, who comforts us in our affliction, so we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. Here's the thing. If this sermon makes you a little bit uncomfortable, I don't care. I don't. Because I love you enough to tell you the truth, and besides, it's not me, it's the Holy Spirit. Now, you decide what to do with it. You decide whether you want to be the clay that stays on the potter's shelf. Or if you've heard this and are able to take a prayerful look at what can you do or what can you say to be a vessel more pliable in the hands of God. James 1.27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. Visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep yourself unstained from the world. Why orphans and widows? Because they're oppressed. Because they get taken advantage of. Do you think that means just orphan and widows? 
And again, this isn't race per se. This is the disadvantaged in every area. What are you doing with your power and influence? Here's what I do sometimes, and I don't mean to, but here's what I do because my heart is, is deceitfully wicked. James 2, 2 through 4. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothes comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? What is he saying? Are you giving preference to people who are just like you? And discarding the people that are different. Maybe not physically. Maybe not with your actions. But in your heart. Deuteronomy 15, 7-8. Remember I don't care what I think. This is the Bible. If among you one of your brothers should become poor. If in any of your towns within your land. The Lord that God is giving you. You shall not harden your heart. Or shut your hand against your poor brother. But you shall open your hand to him. And lend him sufficient for his need. Whatever it may be. Now, we should get frustrated by injustice. You know what the greatest injustice is? Disregarding the blood of Jesus Christ. What a horrible injustice is done to our Savior when we refuse to turn to him as our Lord. What a horrible injustice is done to Jesus when we take our salvation for granted. What a horrible injustice is done to Jesus when we refuse the mission that he's called us to. To make disciples. And baptize them and teach them. You know what Jesus said is the stuff that we do for him. It's not the amazing stuff that everybody sees and get accolades and everybody. That's not the stuff that Jesus said we're doing for him. He said what you do for the least of these. You do for me. It's not about writing a check here and there. It's about living out the mandate. To reconciliation. If the worship team comes up. I thought it would be fitting to close this sermon with a prayer by Ravi Zacharias. Who most of you know went home to be with the Lord a couple weeks ago on May 19th. And he wrote this in the midst of some great unrest. July 8, 2016. There's a lot of uh, division in the country. A lot of unrest. There had been shootings and all sorts of things. And so Ravi wrote this in the midst of that. His words of lament and hope were both timely and timeless as we see current examples of injustice in our nation. We continue to pray for justice and peace at this time and that God will once again bring beauty from the ashes. This is what Ravi wrote. God, our Heavenly Father. Why don't we close our eyes? This was his prayer and it'll be our prayer. God, our Heavenly Father. Our minds go back to the day when Jesus knelt beside his beloved city and wept. If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. We sense so deeply the same reality. We weep for our cities even as we bury our dead. The sound of gunfire is the grim sound of what has already shattered our relationships. We are witnesses of distrust, revenge, and anger. We see no one to lead and guide us. To whom shall we go? 
Our differences seem to lead us farther apart. O Lord of miracles, do what only you can do to save us from ourselves. Give us men and women who will lead us to reconciliation. Give us leaders who will bind us up to heal our wounds, not only those to incite more hate. Give us voices that will bring hope and not despair, comfort the bereaved, and give humility to those who are resistant to your ways. Lord, give us pause so that we might sit back for just a few moments to look to you before we look at our impulsive solutions. We shed others' blood when we are without answers. You shed your only blood as our only answer. We kill, buried in despair. You rise, giving us hope. You told Peter to put back his sword, and you restored the one wounded. That's what we long for. A reprimand to the one who would injure, and a healing within the one injured. God of miracles, please do it again. We need you. Our nation needs you. Our leaders need you. Many a home today will not have the loved one returning. Without you, we have no hope. With you, all things are possible, even for beauty to come from ashes. We pray for the day of truth and unconditional love. Answer our prayer. In the name of Jesus, your Son, and our only Savior, we ask this. Pastor Brian, is, uh, our last song we'll sing together is God, You're So Good. <clears throat> and uh, again, I didn't have this planned, but when Pastor Brian wrote, uh, read 2 Corinthians, uh, where is the second verse? What was it? 2 Corinthians. says um, in order to give back so that we can turn and be a blessing again I'm paraphrasing but be a blessing to others the song the bridge says I am blessed I am called I am healed I am whole I am saved in Jesus name that all sounds great and it's true for those of us who believe in Christ and accept his salvation, but what good is it if we don't turn back, as the scripture says, and as Pastor Brian had just spoken of, to be those hands and feet. I am blessed, so I can in turn. I am called, so I can. I can give. I am healed, so I can help heal. I can. I am whole and I am saved, so let me give that that back, so it just it rang with me. I apologize that I forgot the scripture. I'm human too, but um, it just it just hit me, and um, it w it was just really beautiful. So uh, let's sing this together with that in mind. And uh, Lord, <clears throat> we can do good. We can be good. We can live gracefully. 
because you are good. We thank you, Lord. Church, God, you're so good. Sing it out, church. Oh, God. God, you're 
Father, we thank you that your word is a mirror. It's a sword that separates flesh from spirit, bone from marrow. It has the power to transform, as Pastor said. And I thank you, God, for the word you've given him today. I thank you, God, that it, it's causing us to search our own hearts. To not just take a stand against things, but Lord, remember what we stand for, that we carry a mantle as Christians, Lord, as followers of Jesus, to be ministers of reconciliation, to be ambassadors for Christ, to shine our light, especially in the darkness. And Lord, right now there's so much of that, which means we are being called to shine brighter than ever before. I pray, Lord, that we rise up to that, God, that we don't forget our place and our purpose. Lord, that we don't just seek comfort and shelter from this, Lord, but remember that we're saved to serve. Lord, I pray, that I, I, I know that there's a theme here, this love your neighbor thing. It just continuously has been coming up, Lord. And so, Father, show us how to love our neighbors the way you've called us to, not the way we're comfortable with. Show us, Lord, what it means to really lay down our lives for our friends. Lord, to step out and to trust you, Lord, and to know that we can put ourselves in situations where if you didn't come through, we'd be in big trouble, God, because you've got us. You've given us reason and purpose. So, Father, right now, I pray that when we leave this room today, that we would not just be so excited to be here together, Lord, that we would remember that it's not about this room. And I think that we've learned that over the past couple of months, Lord. This is a blessing and it's great, but Lord, it's who we are outside of here. It's when we re-enter the community and our homes and our workplaces, God, who we are, how our light shines there is what matters most. It's easy to sing songs here. It's easy to sing praises and to say amen. It's really hard sometimes to see beyond our personal biases, our experiences, and to see the hurt, and to see the need. Take the scales off our eyes, God. Open our hearts and minds to those who need mercy, who need justice. And help us to walk humbly with you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Have a great week, everyone. God bless you.